Chapter Seventeen of As in a Mirror by Pansy. The Slibbervox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen Under Suspicion. Poor sister! She was all but stunned over the magnitude of the discoveries she was making. It seemed to her that every sentence Elfrida spoke revealed a new horror. The idea of her pure-hearted young sister, whom they had looked upon as hardly yet out of her babyhood, descending to such depths as these. To a nature like Hildreth Elliot's, an anonymous letter was in itself a poisonous thing, and an anonymous letter, addressed by a young girl to a man, and that man a stranger, was to her a form of disgrace from which she shrank with all the force of her strong, pure nature. Yet she must meet and face disgrace such as this, and help her young sister to overcome it if she could. Therefore she controlled all exhibition of feeling so far as possible, and asked that probing question, Did you go with him to the wayside house? No, said Elfrida, I didn't. Just as we were driving into the gateway, we met John with the carriage. He told me that I was wanted at home immediately. I was frightened half to death, for of course I thought that father must be worse. He took me out of the carriage and put me into ours and drove away quickly without saying a word until we were on the road. Then he frightened me more by telling me what a dreadful thing it was for me to go to the wayside house. You need not worry about John Hildreth. He is good. He made me promise that I would tell you all about it. He had heard it somewhere, the whole story, about the letters, I mean, and all and I promised I would tell you every word, and I have. It wasn't just because you came out to meet me that I told you. I have been planning all day to do it, and I meant to do it before I slept. Oh, Hildreth, do speak to me, or I shall die. Have I disgraced father and mother and you and everybody, and injured Nell? Oh, dear me, if I could just die and be forgotten." It was a childish wail, and for the moment did not appeal to Hildreth's heart. Some way she felt more humiliated still under the force of this new truth. John, the hired man, her father's tramp, taken in in the first place out of charity, must be the one to come to the rescue of her sister. And the burning question was, how did he come by the knowledge that he possessed? If only he were a simple, honest hired man, earning his honest living by daily toil. If he had been one of the roughest and most uncouth of their back-country neighbors come to the rescue, she could have blessed him. But what was John? Possibly, for all she knew, a worse man even than Augustus Sayre Hooper, having knowledge of evil because he was himself of that same evil world. Then came the thought of the humiliation in store for her, because of the necessity for talking the whole wretched business over with John, discovering just how much he knew, and, if possible, from what source he had gathered it. Her face burned at the mere idea, and then paled at the memory of Nell Marvin, and of the disgrace that had been carelessly brought upon her. What would Nanny say if she heard of it, or when she heard of it? Must it not, as a matter of honor, all be told? The poor girl found herself bewildered over these questions of right and wrong, uncertain which way to turn. If she could only have appealed to her clear-headed father, 
or to her quiet, far-seeing mother, but she was firm in the conviction that neither of them must be told for the present. Of course, it was out of the question for her father, and she could not feel that it would be right, under present circumstances, to add to her mother's burdens. Meantime, what was to be said to Elfrida? Not one word of comfort had she yet spoken, for the reason, poor girl, that she had not reached the point where she could sincerely speak comfort. She struggled with the sense of disappointment and angry irritation against Elfrida. How could a girl who had grown up in such a home as hers, with such a father and mother, have gotten so far astray? If this was what the wicked outside world did for a sheltered and carefully guarded one, how could girls who came up without the environment of a Christian home ever escape? It was thoughts like these that made her answer the child's last appeal so coldly. People cannot die, Elfie, at a moment's notice, and leave the consequences of their mistakes to others. She had hesitated for a word, and had almost said sins, but a glance at the woebegone face beside her restrained her tongue, and made her say mistakes instead. It is much more noble to live, and do one's utmost to set right anything that may have gone wrong through fault of ours. One more probing question she would ask. Elfie, you say that you did not at any time realize that you were doing wrong. It was just a bit of fun from which no serious consequences were expected. Will you tell me, then, why you did not explain the whole scheme to mother and me and let us share the fun with you? It seems to me that we are both capable of enjoying fun and quite ready to sympathize with it. Had you thought of that, dear? Elfrida's eyes drooped, and there was silence for several seconds. Then she said, speaking low, Hildreth, Laura Holcomb thinks you are over-particular about some things, and I am afraid she has made me feel so sometimes. I told myself that that was the reason why I said nothing to you about it. But I am going to speak exactly the truth after this, to myself as well as to other people, and I know now that I did not tell you because I felt that you and mother would be sure to put a stop to the whole thing. At first I didn't want it stopped because it was such fun. He wrote such merry letters. And after that, I liked him so well that I wanted you to meet and like him too before I told you anything about it. Then I thought he would be a friend to all of us. He said he was going to take pains to get acquainted with Corliss, and that, being older than he, there were perhaps ways in which he could help him. Hildreth's lip curled derisively. Such a creature as he help Corliss! It was probably well for both the girls that home duties held their attention closely for the remainder of the day. Certainly the older sister was not yet ready with either advice or comfort, beyond the few words she had compelled herself to speak. When, at last, she was at liberty to go over the whole trying business in the privacy of her own room, she tried to shoulder calmly her perplexities and responsibilities, and determine what should be done. But she found quietness of spirit very hard to assume. She had hoped to give this first hour of leisure and solitude to Corliss and his very serious troubles, and behold, 
here was a much more serious matter pressing up to claim immediate and absorbing attention it is true that corliss had brought his troubles upon himself by the merest folly but there was a bright side to that trouble it was folly and not deliberate sin what if he had been one of the company at the belmont house on the evening in question and had been forever associated with the disgraceful scene minute particulars of which were spread out in this evening's paper for the wondering country people to read no names were mentioned but such matters always got abroad especially in the country what if one could not indignantly deny that corliss had had the remotest connection with it or what if he had been goaded by poverty into the appropriation of that fifty-dollar note certainly there was a bright side what a rest of soul it was to her to realize that not so much as a passing suggestion as to his honesty had disturbed her when it came to a matter that corliss chose to consider important his word could be implicitly believed what an infinite pity it was that he found his amusement in exaggerations or at times as in this case in positive untruthfulness but there was a way out for him of course and that a speedy one or if not if it came to public embarrassment and disgrace to endure there was always that central brightness flashing out from the thought that she could be sure he was bearing disgrace unjustly but elfrida's trouble was on another plane the poor girl had undoubtedly gone astray not so far as she might have gone she had been mercifully shielded from an introduction to a world outside of and far below her such as an evening at the wayside house would have given her would it perhaps have been a revelation that she actually needed in order to open her eyes to the dangers awaiting foolish feet in that cruel world not that hildreth would for the world have had the experiment tried and that it was not they had john to thank then she thought again of the interview she must have with him and the careful questioning there must be to find how much or how little he knew what did that mysterious and at times suspicious john know of the world how conversant was he with the wayside house and places of like reputation how much of what he would tell her would be truth and how much invented to suit the occasion it was very bitter but it seemed to her then that because of the habit of falsifying that had taken hold of people there was almost nobody whom she could trust never mind she must shoulder the burden and do the best she could perhaps she ought not to have waited until morning her young sister's name might even now be tossing about among the low and the coarse also there was nell marvin's photograph how were they to get possession of it again or to explain to nelly and her father and mother elfrida's share in the wretched transaction at last she gave over trying to think reminding herself that she was simply taking counsel of her own overwrought brain and then this sorely tried young disciple of truth who had been bitterly stung by falsehood remembered her refuge and betook herself to prayer corliss elliot as he was being driven to the train that morning had certainly cares enough of his own to think about nevertheless he gave some attention to john 
in certain lines he anticipated his sister hildreth's train of thought why was john at the wayside house who was john anyway and to what extent were they justified in trusting him as they had his young eyes recently opened to certain temptations and dangers that waited for the unwary he wondered if he had been quite wise to leave his sisters especially elfrida so much to the care of this unknown man upon whom they must be more or less dependent now that their father was ill yet the fellow had a good face and he could not help being interested in him perhaps he was weak and was being led into evil surroundings since he came into their neighborhood he wondered if there was some word of warning that he might speak even though he were so much younger than john certainly this young man had changed much in a single night there was no inclination now to appeal to john for sympathy instead he was putting his own affairs in the background and trying to plan in a manly way for others the thought occurred to him that possibly it might be his duty to get leave of absence from college and remain at home until his father was able to be about again and then there came the stinging thought that circumstances might make this unnecessary he might be even now suspended or expelled from college the thoughts of the two crossed it was john who spoke first mr corliss breaking a silence that had lasted for several minutes you told me last night you know that you were in trouble i have thought about it a good deal i wish i could help in some way your father has been very kind to me if it is anything about money perhaps i could i've got a little money laid up i know young men in college sometimes need more than they thought they would corliss turned and regarded him with a suspicious look so he had money laid up that was very strange not that an honest working man who was getting fair wages and had only himself to care for might not be able to lay up a little money but john had been with them so short a time and had come in the regular tramp fashion asking for food to be supposedly paid for in work did that look like a man who had money laid up it must be money that he had secured in some way since he came to them was he a professional gambler or was he simply a bungling gambler trying his hand at it from time to time and occasionally winning by a sort of accident in that case was it the wayside house and its frequenters who had led him astray meantime some reply must be made to his offer that is very good of you i am sure with an attempt at a good-natured laugh college fellows are always in need of money i believe but i had not thought of appealing to you suppose i should be in want of say fifty dollars i fancy that would be a larger figure than you could compass no said john falling unsuspiciously even eagerly into the trap i could lend you fifty dollars as well as not i could raise it in an hour's time i could telegraph you a money order you know i'll be very glad to do it if you will let me and you needn't be troubled about paying me any time in the future when you can do it as well as not will be all right every word he spoke increased the suspicion against him 
corliss who had had not the slightest idea of borrowing money from him and had mentioned the sum merely to learn if possible the extent of john's resources was for the moment in doubt as to what reply to make it is certainly very generous in you to offer to help me he said at last and of course i am obliged to you but at present at least i shall not borrow i shall have to confess that you have given me a surprise i didn't imagine that you had a bank account the circumstances under which you came to my father had not led me to suppose that you were a moneyed man john's face grew red under the taunt and the realization of his own folly he had made another mistake he drove on for some seconds in silence then he said coldly a man can earn money mr corliss by working with his hands and be honest about it of course he can said corliss heartily i don't want you to imagine for a minute that i look down upon any working man or feel superior to him but john an honest working man who has money laid up doesn't as a rule turn tramp and come into a neighborhood where he is an entire stranger in search of a meal however that is none of our business i suppose so long as you do your work well you look as though you would like to say something of that kind to me so i will say it for you i'll tell you something that may surprise you i had occasion to go to the wayside house on business night before last and i was very sorry to catch a glimpse of you in the same place you may be so much of a stranger in the neighborhood as not to understand the character of that house if this is so the sooner you can be put on your guard the better so far as i know no respectable person frequents it and it is the regular resort of some of the worst characters in this part of the country if you are a good honest fellow john as i want to think you are you will not mind my plain speaking i am quite sure that my father would not like to continue in his employ a man who is in the habit of going to such places i was never at the wayside house before in my life said john quickly it was very important business which took me there that evening i saw you there mr corliss and wondered at it i have heard about the house your father himself told me of some things that have taken place there you have been good enough to tell me that you were sorry to see me in such a place perhaps you will excuse me if i say that i had much the same feeling about seeing mr elliot's son there corliss laughed there are two of us are there he said gaily i believe it was also my first visit to that renowned spot queer that we chose the same night isn't it do you know what i would advise that neither of us go again the business that i thought called me didn't amount to anything it would have been better in every way if i had not gone i dare say the same could be said of yours john made no audible reply to this tentative question in his heart he said indeed it could not if you knew what took me there my lofty young man you would go down upon your knees in gratitude for my effort and its success they were nearing the station and the horses being restive under the passing of a freight train the driver had a good excuse for giving undivided attention to them after his passenger had alighted and bowed his good morning he turned back to say kindly 
I don't know whether I thanked you for your kind intentions. I really am very grateful. If I ever need your help in any way, I shall be sure to remember. And if you should need my help at any time, I shall be glad to give it. Then he ran for his train. End of chapter 17